The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushduni. My prayer is that you will be strengthened by these readings. The insight in which Mr. Rushduni had is significant, not only then, but in today's day as well. But in no way should it replace your own studies in the Scriptures. And I do pray that you will take what you learn and apply it to every area of your life and thought. Marcionism, Chalcedon Position Paper, number 57. Marcion of Sinope was a heretic whose era was near the middle of the 2nd century A.D. Few men have left a more deadly and lasting influence on the church. Marcion had a background of involvement in Stoicism and Gnosticism. His decisive teacher was certain agnostic. In a general way, Marcion's thinking was this. The Old Testament was the product of a God who was largely evil. This creator God is the source of law, justice, and hate. The Messiah this God promised the Jews did not come. But another and good God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. The purpose of this son was to free men from the world of matter and from the law, in fact, to free them from creation. Since the material world is evil, compromise with it was evil to Marcion. Marriage is one such form of compromise, and Marcion refused to baptize married people because he held it to be a sin to propagate a race which is in subjection to the bad creator God. Naturally, the Marcionites denied the resurrection of the body. Given his hatred of the law, Marcion saw the enemies of the Creator God in his law as the true saints of the Old Testament. According to Marcion, Jesus descended into hell to rescue God's prisoners, men like Cain, 
Esau, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Besides rejecting the Old Testament, Marcion rejected much of the New as well, because it revealed the old God and His law. He allowed only one gospel, Luke, in an edited version which, among other things, excluded the first four chapters. He only allowed some of Paul's epistles after he had edited and expurgated them to allow only those texts which fitted in with his new dispensation. For Marcion, the attack on Jesus by the Jews was motivated by the evil God of law. As a result, he cut all references by Jesus to the Creator as his Father. The two dispensations had to be separated totally. Marcion's father, a bishop, excommunicated his son and refused ever to see him again. Fundamental to Marcion's position was the separation of law from the gospel and from grace. At this point, Marcion was more logical than many of his followers. He saw clearly that if law and grace come from the same God, there can be no contradiction between them. All that a perfect God expresses must be in perfect harmony. God's law, justice, mercy, grace, love, forgiveness, and wrath cannot be divided in the perfect God. Hence, law had to be the product of an evil God because Marcion's presuppositions saw law and matter as evil. Marcion found the world repulsive. Could a good God make reptiles and insects? Marcion found especially repulsive the, quote, uncleanness, unquote, of sex and childbirth, and a good God would seek to deliver a man from such a creation. Marcion applied Luke 6.43 to God, the God of the Old Testament, quote, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit, unquote. The Creator God of the Old Testament had brought forth matter, law, and sex. This made him for Marcion a corrupt tree, an evil god, and salvation had to be salvation from this evil god's world and law. Marcion felt only hostility towards the, quote, just, unquote, and, quote, judicial, unquote, God. Marcion was extremely anti-Jewish. He used Paul as a means of attacking Old Testament faith. In the process of his misinterpretation of Paul, he left ideas in the church which have since colored and falsified men's perspectives on Paul. In his antithesis, Marcion collected verses from the Bible to show how, quote, ugly, unquote, the Jewish God was. He also used Christ's words in Matthew 5:17 and had them say exactly the opposite of what our Lord declares. For Marcion, Jesus said, quote, I am come not to fulfill the law and the prophets, but to destroy them, unquote. Marcion's perversion has since become, quote, dispensational truth, unquote. In creating a division in the Bible, Marcion was the father of both modernist critics and of dispensationalism. Marcion was not only against marriage, but also against eating meats, except for fish, and against wine. Thus, in his communion service, only bread was used. Baptism for the dead was sometimes practiced, and women could perform baptism. The Marcionites were quite numerous for some centuries, and were later absorbed into the Paulican movement and Cathars in the West. For Marcion, 
His Jesus was a spiritual person, not truly man. The Jewish Messiah he regarded as political because of the messianic concern over the kingdom of God. For him, the true Messiah could not be materialistic and political in his concerns. There was for Marcion no real incarnation because this would for him have ended Jesus' divinity. Man needed deliverance from his body, not a God incarnating himself in flesh. Quite logically, Marcion viewed the law with horror. How could a good God concern himself with dietary laws, laws governing sex, property, and so on? How could good men read such a law without embarrassment? Until Marcion, Christians saw the Bible as one book. Apostolic preaching and writing makes clear that what we call the Old Testament was used as totally relevant and is coming into its own in Christ. In defending the apostolic writings against Marcion, the church tended to segregate them. Because Marcion had created a false New Testament, the church, in defending the true apostolic canon, segregated it. For us to read the Bible as two books rather than as one unified word of God is to fall under Marcion's influence. Under Apelles, a Marcionite leader, the extremes of Marcion's thinking were altered. There was for Apelles one God, but this one God had a different dispensation for the Jews than for the Gentiles. The Old Testament was thus a lower, cruder word for the Jews. There was now a better word for the Gentiles. This development broadened the influence of Marcion, and it continues to this day. It is interesting to note, and Jaroslav Pelikan, in the Christian Tradition, Volume 1, The Emergence of the Catholic Tradition, 100 to 600, 1971, calls attention to the fact Karl Barth saw, quote, remarkable parallels, unquote, between himself and Marcion. The Hellenic roots of so many leaders in the early church made them susceptible to a modified Marcionism. Greek philosophy downgraded the world of matter in favor of the world of ideas. As a result, churchmen who strongly condemned Marcion were still ready to agree with a modified Marcionism. Origen, in First Principles, ridiculed the idea of taking Genesis 1 and much else too literally. God obviously meant something more spiritual than the Hebrew text indicated. Gregory of Nyssa allegorized the law because he could not believe that God's law could actually be serious in telling us how to eat. Gregory of Nyssa, The Life of Moses, 2, 105. The result of all this was that while Marcion was condemned, his thinking in modified form gained ground steadily in the church. There was this modified dispensational Marcionism held one God, but he had differing dispensations, one for those primitive Hebrews and a higher one for the Christians. A clear result of Marcion's influence has been to limit the effectiveness of Christians and of the church. It would never have occurred to the Old Testament prophets that they should be non-political. They confronted and indicted rulers and kings, as our Lord did in his day. The word of the Lord they held speaks to all men and to every condition, and not the least of there is the political sphere. The Bible is an intensely relevant book 
for church, state, school, family, and every other sphere of life. Marcion held that the family was outside of God unless husband and wife pledged themselves to refrain from sex permanently. The basic premise of the prophets and apostles is that the world must be under God's law and under Christ as king. Marcionism is very much with us. The church in Christ cannot isolate itself from the problems of life, but must apply God's law word to every area of life and thought. Precisely because Christians are under grace, they are under God's laws, their way of life, and grace, their way of sanctification. The consequences of Marcionism have been deadly. First of all, a major consequence of Marcionism has been the separation of faith from the world. Marcionism is always self-defeating because it denies the reliance of its religion to the very real problems of life. The appeal of Marcionism is its easy answers. Marcionite churches grew easily and readily. By denying the validity of biblical law, they made their faith easy. By separating themselves from politics and the family, they separated themselves from two very prolific sources of human problems. Family life, for example, is a succession of responsibilities and problems, but the blessedness of life in Christ comes from meeting problems in terms of God's law word and spirit and gaining a victory thereby. Marcionism places itself on the shelf or in limbo by its false view of separation. Biblical faith is a prophetic faith, not a retreatist one. Paul in speaking of the need for a disciplinary separation upon excommunication, adds that this separation cannot be from all men who are sinners. Quote, for them must ye needs go out of the world. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 5.10 Marcionism, however, sought precisely that, to take people out of the world. There was thus a radical separationism in Marcionism, Believers were to separate themselves from the God of the law and justice, from marriage, from meats, from politics, and from all materialistic concerns. Their dispensationalism left them with a very fragmentary Bible, so that their source of guidance was not God's law word, but vaguely spiritual concerns. They were too spiritual for Moses to instruct them, or for the prophets to speak to them. The result was that this dispensational separation led to a very great spiritual pride. To deny God's law means that a man now lives by his own law, the church's law, or some other form of humanistic law. The fact that this antinomian way was called, quote, spiritual, unquote, only added to its sin and evil. Second, as is already apparent, Marcionism changed salvation into a form of escapism. As I have pointed out in Salvation and Godly Rule, Ross House Books, $16.50 postpaid. Salvation means deliverance into victory, health, and dominion. Jesus Christ gives us salvation by His mighty victory over sin and death. His atonement restores us into God's covenant as His faithful law keepers Dominion men who are now empowered to be, quote, more than conquerors through him that loved us, unquote. Romans 8, 37. 
Marcionism separated men from God because it separated them from God's covenant law. In faithfulness to that covenant and its law, Jesus Christ came as very man of very man to pay the death penalty for our transgression of the law, and, by his atoning death and regenerating power, to restore us to faithfulness, to obedience to that covenant and its law. By its dispensationalism, Marcionism separated men from the covenant Christ to tie them to his imagined Christ. He wanted no Christ whose office is to be king of creation, the ruler over men and nations. As a result, his, quote, spiritual, unquote, Christ was no Christ at all. Third, Marcionism destroyed the unity of God's revelation. The Old Testament is not an obsolete, lower, or inferior revelation. The Word of God is one word. The Bible is a unity and to the extent that its unity and its relevancy is denied, the power of the faith is diminished and harmed. The currents of modified Marcionism within the church must be purged in order to restore the church to power. The Holy Spirit works through His Word, the whole Word. Will you listen? December 1984 The Definition of Man Chalcedon Position Paper Number 58. One of the problems of our time is the inadequacy and failure of men to be truly men under God. The popular images of masculinity are caricatures and the quote macho unquote idea ludicrous and absurd. Because God created man, only God can define a man. The humanistic definitions are thus perversions which warp all who live by them. According to the Bible, quote, man, unquote, was created by God in his image, and, quote, male and female created he them, unquote, Genesis 1.27. This tells us two things. First, the word, quote, man, unquote, here is inclusive of male and female, so that despite the difference in the time of their creation, male and female are alike comprehended as, quote, man, unquote and as a unity in God's purpose. Second, although there are differences, both male and female are created in God's image. The Shorter Catechism tells us, quote, God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures, unquote. Genesis 1, 27-28, Colossians three ten. Ephesians 4.24 The larger catechism, number 20, tells us also that the providence of God toward man includes responsibility, marriage, communion with himself, the Sabbath, and the covenant of life with its requirement of, quote, perpetual obedience, unquote. Thus man is defined by God in terms of and in relation to himself. For men to seek a self-definition is a sin, and for men to define women in terms of themselves compounds the sin. In Ephesians 5:21 through 33 we have a much-abused text concerning male and female. It is important to note that the command to love is given to the man concerning his wife, not to the wife concerning her husband. Husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Even as Christ is the head of the church to protect and care for it, so too must the husband be. His headship is not a, quote, Gentile, unquote, fact, one of lording it over his wife. The general command to male and female, to all Christians in their relationships, is this, quote, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, unquote. There is for both a hierarchy of authorities, first of all God and then the community. In their human relationships they are to be, quote, members one of another, unquote. Ephesians 4.25 And because of this, submit their will to the common good in Christ. We are called and required to serve God unquestioningly. We cannot, however, serve any man so, for such an obedience would be a form of idolatry. Scripture presents Sarah as the model for wives. 1 Peter 3.6 And certainly Sarah spoke plainly and bluntly to Abraham. Genesis 21, 9-10 but God on at least one occasion told Abraham, quote, In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice. Unquote. Genesis 21, 12. For a woman to be silent and obedient to evil is a sin. It is morally wrong, and it makes her an accessory to the evil. Unhappily, we have too many people promoting the idea of an unquestioning and servile obedience by wives to their husbands. This is to promote idolatry in the name of faithfulness. Some wives are guilty of a super-obedience as a part of a false piety. They expect God to bless them and give them miracles if they make doormats of themselves. God created the woman to be man's helpmeet in the dominion mandate, Genesis 2:18, not to be a slave, doormat, or idolatrous servitor. Moreover, the calling of man, male and female, is to be responsible and accountable, supremely to God, but also to one another. Our Lord says, quote, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Unquote. Luke twelve forty eight. This means that both male and female, although especially males, have very great responsibilities and an accountability one to another. They are not their own. They belong to Christ, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20 and after that to one another, so that mutual consent is the premise in all things, including sexual abstinence or activity, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. This premise that we are not our own, 1 Corinthians six nineteen is thus applied to all human relations and especially to marriage. Male and female are accountable one to another in marriage. Headship, thus on the human level, involves, quote, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, unquote. Ephesians 5.21 The greater the responsibility, the greater the accountability, and the greater the realm of accountability. The accountability of a senator is great, but not equal to that of the president. The accountability of the husband is greater than that of the wife. Reality is hierarchical. Modern man, with his radical equalitarianism, is unwilling to see that there are gradations of authority and ability in all the world. One of the first things dropped by every equalitarian revolution, including the Russian Revolution, is the practice of equality. 
Equalitarian demands are usually the prelude to new realignment of status and the coming to power of a new elite. Elitism is the insistence and attempt of self-appointed leaders to assume a total power over society. Elitism is opposed to the idea of hierarchy. Because hierarchy means sacred rule, in example authority in terms of a God-appointed order. The authority of a father and mother is God-ordained and to be used in terms of God's law. It is hierarchical. Elitism sets man-made standards and requires others to meet them. It means that man plays God and requires the world to bow down to his word. Because man is created by God and defined by God, man's authority is hierarchical. Both male and female have a hierarchical power which is basic to life and necessary to social order. In all authority, the primacy of God is the foundation. If God's primary and absolute authority be denied, all authority crumbles. All men then seek to do that which is right in their own eyes. If men will not be ruled by God, they lose the capacity to rule. Men who will not be ruled by God cannot rule themselves nor others. They can at best or worst be tyrants, not authorities. Moreover, to deny God means ultimately to deny definition and meaning in every realm. The sexual chaos of our time is a logical one. For to deny God is to deny the meaning of all things, including male and female. The effort by men to define themselves apart from God is suicidal because it substitutes an empty, humanistic perspective for the biblical one. Because God is the creator of all things in heaven and on earth, only his order is the natural one. To depart from God's order is sin, a disturbance of the natural order of life. Furthermore, because as Paul says, we are members one of another in Christ, for men and women to put down one another is to put down themselves even more. Because in marriage, male and female become one flesh, a community of life. They cannot take advantage of one another without harming themselves. Life is not ordained by God to be lived in isolation from God and from one another. It is, quote, not good, unquote, for man to be alone, God tells us. But loneliness is much more than being alone. A man can be lonely in a crowd if his life is out of focus. Loneliness is most deadly when we are out of touch with life. And to be out of touch with God is to be out of touch with life. We cannot see reality as it is unless we see all things as God's creation and of necessity understandable only in terms of God's law word. Without faith in the triune God, our lives and vision are out of focus and we are not in touch with reality. Our Lord tells us, quote, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness or justice, unquote. Matthew 6:33. If we seek first our will and our hopes, we warp our lives and our perspectives. Failure to live in terms of reality and an insistence that our will constitutes the real and the true is insanity, and this insanity is endemic to fallen man. It is basic to our world's problems and evils and also to our own. Our Lord says plainly, 
that it is God's rule and justice we must seek first, in example, above all things else. Only then, he says, will, quote, all these things which you desire be added unto you, unquote. Matthew 6.33 In other words, our hopes have no place in God's purposes unless His rule and justice have priority with us. Males who seek their own will first warp every area of life which they touch, whereas Christ, their model, quote, loved the church and gave Himself for it, unquote. Ephesians 5.25 Such men make themselves not their families, the center of their lives. They thus impose a warp on the lives of their families and on all who are associated with them or are under them. Precisely because in God's order the family is the basic and central institution in life, to warp the family at the central point of human authority has repercussions of a radical sort. Society as a whole is then distorted and rendered ungodly. Our calling requires us to give God the glory and the priority in all things. David tells us, God made man, quote, a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor, unquote, to have, quote, dominion over the works, unquote, of God's hands. Quote, thou hast put all things under his feet, unquote. Psalms 8, 5 through 6. When men deny God the Lord, they deny also their calling. As a result, instead of having dominion, men fall under the dominion of sin. Their moral universe is turned upside down and their true strength denied. Julianus Pomerius, C. 497 A.D., in The Contemplative Life, wrote that, quote, faith is the foundation of justice, unquote. For there to be justice of righteousness in the world, there must first be faith men of faith. Faith and its consequence, justice, make us aware that we are not our own, that we are part of a God-created order with a responsibility to God and to one another. As Julianus Pomerius added, quote, from justice, equity also flows, which makes us call the necessities of all men our own, and makes us believe we were born not for ourselves alone, but also for mankind in general, unquote. Quote, born not for ourselves alone, unquote. Man in his sin sees the whole world as existing for his pleasure, to be used as he wills it. But, quote, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, unquote. For this we were created. For this we were ordained and born. To deny our nature and calling is to destroy our true freedom and to warp our being. As God's creatures, we are also called to love one another and to be members one of another. Our Lord tells us that the meaning of God's law can be summarized in two commandments. Quote, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Unquote. Matthew twenty one thirty seven through thirty nine. These two sentences tell us what all of God's law deals with. The law gives us the specific ways in which our love of God 
and of our neighbor is to be manifested. God's law, James 1.23 and 2.12 tells us, is, quote, the perfect law of liberty, unquote. An attempt recently to place an animal heart in a human baby was a disaster. The human body rejected the alien heart. When a man is given an alien law, any law other than God's law, an even greater rejection factor is at work. Instead of liberty, the alien law produces death. The more society departs from God's law, the closer it is to death. The macho male and the feminist female images warp life and replace liberty with social suicide. In this development, false theology has played a key role. As Anne Douglas in The Feminization of American Culture shows so tellingly, America's departure from Calvinism led to a feminization of both theology and culture and also of the clergy. Not surprisingly, the liberal clergy was regarded as effeminate and people spoke of three sexes, men, women, and preachers. We now see the consequences of that long and unhappy development. One of the common problems across the country is the oppression of the clergy by whining and complaining parishioners. The pastor is expected to serve the whims of sniveling men and whining women, not Christ the Lord. If he fails to do their bidding and play his sanctimonious part, the complaint is that, quote, he is not a spiritual man, unquote. Some peoples redefine man and the church in terms of themselves. A particularly fine pastor was recently told by a nasty old wretch, quote, you're not doing enough for us senior citizens, unquote. The complainer had only one demand of the church, that it serve him not that he served the Lord. Until men define themselves in terms of the Lord, his kingdom, law, and justice, our society's troubles will only increase. Man has no right to define himself. God did that on the day of creation. January 1985 Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus. It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he had shown. Praise His name and go.
Tell the 